This is Linux Reality, Episode 26, Windows Networking, Part 2. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you're having a good week and that you enjoyed that last uh, episode. I know it was a little technical, but uh, the feedback I got was tremendous, and I think that I think that it's good that you know sometimes we'll we'll cover more basic things and sometimes we'll cover more advanced things, and uh, so you know kind of kind of mix it up. And we're going to continue that this week with a with a further look at Windows networking at Samba. Uh, this time going the, going the other way from your Windows machine to your Linux machine. Uh, a couple of things I wanted to mention off the top. First of all, is the, uh, just remind everyone about the voicemail, the listener uh, hotline. We've got that at 206-338-6359. And I got several this week, and I'm going to play a few here in, in a few minutes. And I realized, you know, the quality isn't that great, uh, but hey, it's free and it's and it's something. I'm, I am going to add the audio flash-based uh, voicemail system, the web-based one. I've, I've figured out how to do that. I just haven't haven't done it yet. I haven't put the link up. So. I am going to add that as well, just to give folks another option. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is this is something I've been working on for a few weeks now, and it's actually kind of funny because somebody sent me a, a voicemail and, and asked about this. But several people have asked me um, over the last few months for some some kind of an archive CD that they could purchase that has all the episodes on it and some, and stuff like that. So I'm going to do that. It will be out this week or next week, and it's going to be. Available for a small fee, maybe $10 or something like that, basically just cover the cost of media and, and shipping. But it's going to have all the episodes up through 26, both the MP3 and the AUG files, all the show notes, and it's also going to have a bunch of other resources that have come across on the Internet that I think might be helpful, various PDFs and, and how-tos and guides and stuff like that. And it's all stuff that's freely available, you know, Creative Commons or something. And I've, what I've done is I've, I've, I've emailed all of the authors of those, of those extra materials and asked them if I can include it. And for, for those that respond, yes, I will, I will do so. So there will be some good stuff on there, some extras that, uh, that are not available on the regular website. So you know, keep your eye out for that. I think that'll be pretty cool. Um, let's see. Last week, again, as I mentioned, we took a look at uh, Windows Networking Part 1, going from Linux to Windows. And this week, we're going to look at the reverse. But before we do that, let me pay this uh, this promo for In the Trenches, a very well-known podcast, uh, a really, really cool one. And I'll talk about it in just a second. Ah, welcome. Welcome to the podcaster's veteran song. Please follow me. As you can see, we have a lot of the original podcasters here. Some of them are in pretty bad shape. Aliens have arrived, you know? There's a case in point. <laughs> Behind this locked door are two of our oldest and therefore most dangerous podcasters, Kevin Devon and George Starcher. Let's see if I can get this open. Trenches back in Settle down, settle down. They cater to the fringe elements. Tobaccos like system administrators and IT professionals. Ah, the door is unlocked. Uh, guards, be at the ready. Once we open the door. Ach, the Lieber, they are gone. They have escaped. They've gone back, I tell you, in the trenches. No, no, no. That, that, that is impossible. Uh, sounds the alarm. In the Trenches, the podcast for system administrators and IT professionals at KevinDevon.com. Well, this In the Trenches podcast is just fantastic. It's it's uh you know it's really geared towards uh, sysadmins. It's pretty advanced, pretty high level. But you know, even if you're not a sysadmin, it's just it's so interesting to hear 
what these guys, what their perspective is and what it's like. And, and they're very knowledgeable about a whole bunch of operating systems and networks. And it's just, it's really cool. So if you have any interest in that kind of thing, definitely check them out. I highly recommend it. All right, let's check out some listener feedback. Message for you, son. Hello, Chess Griffin. This is Fred Finster from Arlington, Washington, about 50 miles north of Seattle. Listening to your uh, version 24 of the pod- Linux Reality Podcast. Got a great voice, great delivery, uh, good information. Keep it up. I was just wondering if uh, you're going to do one on Twinkle Phone and Free World Dial-Up or K-Phone, where uh, maybe you could instigate the people getting together and meeting to have conversation all 24 hours a day on uh, Linux Reality and their latest podcast and help. I use Memphis 6.0 myself. The release candidate too. They have a MEPA 6.0 final version at www.mepis m-e-p-i-s dot o-r-g. Well, keep up the good work. Good luck. Maybe with asterisks and free will dial-up and a twinkle phone sip, uh, we could have free conversations amongst the listeners. Now, thanks for Frapper too. Man, that's really something to see. How, you know, the whole wide world, how many different people listen to Linux Shroudy. Have a good day. Bye. Well, thanks, Fred. I appreciate that. Uh, Fred actually sent me a, a couple of voicemails. Uh, one of them didn't come through so good, so I just played this one. But uh, I like your idea about the voice conference, the asterisk or something like that. I haven't investigated that at all. If that's something I add, it will probably be down the road. I've just I've got a lot on the plate right now. But... That's a great idea, and I appreciate that, and uh, I'm glad you're using Memphis. I'd like to hear what you have to say about the final version of 6.0, and uh, uh, Fred was also the one who, who mentioned in his other voicemail about the idea of the CD-ROM, so Fred, stay tuned. That's coming up. All right, here's one from Bob. Hi, Jeff. This is Bob Smith calling from Ladysmith on Vancouver Island, Canada. Thanks for the Linux Reality podcast. They're really informative, and I appreciate them a lot. Um, even though my first computer came with the, the optional 4K memory, I've spent a lot of time with older operating systems, um, CPM, DOS, Windblows, uh, OS2, uh, and its successor, Ecom Station. But I've moved most of my stuff now to Linux uh, SUSE 10.1. Uh, the, a couple of suggestions um, uh, for future topics. Um, the um, SUSE Linux installs now seem to be fixed. Uh, the update problem with Yast and the Zen update seems to be working when I install 10.1 on the box now. It just updates a couple of times and the problem seems to go away. Future topics I'd like to see uh, include uh, getting two SUSE Linux boxes or two Linux boxes to network with each other and share printers and so on. I can't find any straightforward set of instructions on how to do that. Um, Some discussion of Linux file formats might be useful. Um, I chose ReserFS for one of my Linux boxes, and then I couldn't resize the partition without deleting and reinstalling it. So I use uh, ext3 now to avoid this problem. 
And lastly, because some of the databases I need to use are in MS Access, I've installed Crossover Pro on all my systems, and it lets me run Access 2000 and even Newsbin Pro, which I use to collect old-time radio programs on uh, Usenet. And so I have even less reason to keep uh, Windows installed. Thanks again for all your work, Chess. Uh, we really appreciate it up here. Bye. Well, Bob, uh, yeah, that's a great voicemail. Thank you for that. I, I think we will talk about sharing data between Linux computers. I mean, some of this Samba stuff can be done between Linux, but there's other ways to do it as well. And as far as sharing printers, uh, you know, you can share printers through Samba. You can also do it with cups, which is which is more native, I guess, and, and that's what I do. I use cups to share printers across the Linux network, and it works great. So that is something we'll talk about at some point, as well as the idea of the, uh, or the topic of the Linux file systems, Riser and EXT3 and all of that. So thank you for those ideas. I do appreciate that, Bob. Uh, I also got a, another voicemail from a listener named Matt. He didn't want me to play it, and that's fine. Uh, uh, I, I sort of figure anybody who calls in or sends me an email or leaves a voicemail, you know, that's sort of fair game to be included, but of course, if you specifically ask me not to, then then of course I won't. But uh, he did. Um, he, he said he really liked the show and liked the Samba episode a lot. But he had a good point that I wanted to, and that's why I'm mentioning his his voicemail. He asked if I could put the the the, the comments that I talk about that I that I say, you know, put them in a file or in the show notes or something like that. So I am going to do that. Haven't done it yet, but give me give me some time, and I'll do that for last week's episode and this week's episode as well. I do think that would be very helpful. So uh, thanks so much. And then I've got, uh, let's see, last one here I wanted to get to this week is an email from Tor. And Tor says, I want to wholeheartedly thank you for your efforts in making a highly enjoyable podcast. I listen to them just when they come out, and I try to stay active in the forums. This is the podcast that really sparked a new interest in me for this excellent OS. So now I'm searching for the one for me, and I hope it works out well. have to find one that I like before I'm going into the National Guard in October, but that'll work out. So keep on doing an excellent job. Cheers from Norway. That's from Tor. Well, thank you, Tor. Um, yeah, it's the, the, the distro shopping or, you know, hopping around trying out different distributions is very common. I've done it. I still do it to some degree, although I've settled on a couple that I have been using for, for quite some time, but can't help but trying out new things as they come out. It's just, it's just too exciting. So, so I do hope you find one that just clicks for you and just stick with it. Keep trying them and, uh, you will find one. I, I I'm sure of that. All right, thanks so much, Tor. With that, let's check out a couple listener tips. To start, press any key. Where's the any key? I see esk, katarl, and pickup. There doesn't seem to be any any key. Hi, Chess. My name's Oliver, and a uh, quick good day from Australia. Just bring up to give you a bit of feedback and a quick user tip. Um, love your show, first of all. I just switched to Linux a few months back, and I really feel the desktop environment has come a long, long way. I remember purchasing what I think was Red Hat 3 back in 98, 99, and not even being able to get much done, as it had little documentation and poor your support, and I was still a, a fledgling Windows user and wasn't really um, comfortable with all the command line that was the installation process. I've dabbled on and off over the last few years and finally found Ubuntu and a great community that supports it. I found your show not long after having been an avid listener since. You have some great topics and give me, me, the relatively new user, the confidence to go and try some of the things I suggest. Thanks, Chess. I have a quick user tip for you. As you know, everything in Ubuntu requires a pseudo command to execute things that will override system settings, etc. 
Well, I found it difficult when I first started as I just wanted to, say, move some icons into the PixMaps folder or edit a config file. Whilst I don't mind using the command line, sometimes those commands get pretty long and it takes more time than it would using the GUI. So I decided one day just to type in sudo nautilus and wow, a GUI window popped up for a password. It instigates one nautilus window with root privileges. I just quickly do what I need to do and close the window. Anyway, I just thought I would share it as it has been a valuable little tool. That was just sudo nautilus. Anyway, keep up the excellent quality shows, Chest. Really enjoy it. See ya. Hello, Linux Reality. This is Zero Signal with a listener tip. Every once in a while, you may have a program that hangs or becomes unresponsive, and you're unable to quit the application or even close its window. As with most things in Linux, there are a number of ways to deal with this situation. One of them is to open a terminal window and type the command xkill. That's all one word, X-K-I-L-L. You'll notice your mouse pointer change, probably to a wicked skull and crossbones. Then, you'll want to click on the offending programs window, and instantly that process is killed. I've tested this in KDE, GNOME, XFCE, and just running Fluxbox and X11 and Xfree, and I can tell you that there were tiny little differences between them, but it worked in all of the ones that I tried. Now, if you're running KDE, you can invoke this simply by typing the keyboard combination Control-Alt-Escape. That's a default setting, so your mileage may vary. The time this listener tip took is probably longer than the sum total of times that you'll use it, but it can be handy to have just in case. Okay, um, let's see. Before I get to this week's topic, a couple follow-up points um, uh, from last week. The first thing is I, I mentioned this two or three times in the episode, but but uh, one person emailed me and and uh, maybe I wasn't that clear on, on what I was saying, but but the idea of creating a mount point in the etsy slash fstab file in a way is kind of optional. In other words, you can always use the browsing feature of Samba, assuming you've got the you know Samba client part installed. But Ubuntu comes with that, for example, and I think SUSE does, and most of them do these days. So, in other words, if you've got a Windows network and you and you and you you know you go to browse either in Conqueror or in Nautilus by going up to Places and then down to Network Servers, you should see your your Windows network, and that should work just fine for accessing data. So, you don't necessarily have to do the mount point. You can always just just browse the network whenever you want to access something on another computer, and for the most part, that works fine. Uh, what, this one person did mention a, a little application called SMB4K. It's a KDE application. It's a GUI tool that apparently, I haven't tried this, but apparently lets you do all the mounting and unmounting and creating mount points within a graphical tool. I believe you still need to change the permissions on the SMB MNT and the SMB UMOUNT uh, applications that I mentioned in, in last week's episode. But it's my understanding that with this with this little GUI tool, you then don't need to do the editing of Etsy slash fstab. You can just use this tool and and mount things and uh, and set it so it does it on boot and, and all that. I think that's a KDE specific application. There may be an equivalent in GNOME. I just don't know about it. If anybody does, please let me know and I'll pass that along. So, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the uh, the idea of, of editing your fstab file is optional. It doesn't necessarily have to be done, but it can be done if you want a more permanent uh, connection. You know, a more permanent mount point. All right, so this week we're going to talk about accessing Linux from Windows, and actually, this is really not that bad. It's not that tricky. It, it, it um, you know, as long as you set a few things up, uh, 
in the outset, as I, as I mentioned last week, I think things will help. Again, it really helps to turn off your software firewalls for, for purposes of testing. Uh, and you can also, um, I would recommend coming up with a common username and password across all your machines. That will make things easier. doesn't have to be done, but it definitely makes things easier. So the, the, the first order of business here is to make sure that you've got the Samba server installed. Uh, last week we just installed SMBFS, but that's not the Samba server. So you'll want to go to your package manager and make sure that, that the Samba server package is installed. And then you'll also want to find out how to start and stop and restart that, that, that server. Some distributions include a graphical tool like in, in YAST, in SUSE, or in the Mandriva Control Center. I'm pretty sure there are tools in there that let you start and stop services or servers. And you'll just look in there for Samba and you should be able to figure out how to start, stop, or restart it. Otherwise, if you, uh, if you don't have that, then you'll need to use the command line to start and stop Samba. And I'll mention how to do that for, at least for Ubuntu here in just a minute. So, so number one, we gotta make sure that the Samba server is installed. Next thing that needs to be done is we'll need to edit a file. And this is the, the smb.conf file. So what we'll want to do is open up a terminal, and then, again, I'll use Ubuntu as an example here, but uh, you'll want to type in cd, that's change directory, space, slash etsy, slash samba. So we're going to go back into the samba directory in the etsy directory. And there's a file in there called smb.conf, C-O-N-F. It's a configuration file for samba. And what we'll want to do first is copy it to back it up. So do cp that's copy, space, smb.conf, C-O-N-F, space, smb.conf, dash, backup. We'll call it whatever you like. But we're basically backing up this original version, so in case we mess it up, we can always, you know, restore it. Now we'll want to edit this file. So we're going to use the nano editor again. Very simple editor. And remember, you just use your arrow keys and whatnot to move around, and then Control-O to save, and Control-X to exit. All right, so again, in the terminal, in the Samba directory, we'll want to type uh, sudo space nano space smb.conf, C-O-N-F. Now, this configuration file, it's kind of typical for Linux configuration files. It's heavily commented meaning there are there's text in there that explains the file and explains the different sections and i would really recommend whenever you edit a file read the comments that are in the file they're very helpful and they do they they really guide you and tell you what you sh need to do and what you don't need to do so if you go through this file you start scrolling through it you'll notice in the very beginning there's eight or ten lines of sort of an introductory comment now the comments you know the the the, the text comments are preceded by by a pound sign or, or a hash, you know, a number sign. That's that's a comment, meaning that line is ignored. Then there are other lines that are actual, you know, configuration options that can also be commented out. And in this file, it uses the the, the there's a semicolon in front of a a command line or an option line when it's commented out. And commenting out an option line means it's it's, it's ignored. If you remove the comma, sorry, the semicolon, then you've uncommented the line, and now that option is enabled. And then, of course, you can change the option values, yes or no or whatever. So when we talk about commenting and uncommenting a line, 
in this particular case, we're talking about the lines that are that have a semicolon in the front of them. Anyone, any line that has a semicolon in front is commented out. It means it's, it's ignored. And any line that doesn't have a semicolon in front is uncommented and is active. Okay, so scrolling down, the first group we'll want to look at uh, is in the global settings section. You'll see a line that says work group. Work group equals something. And what you want to do is make sure this line is uncommented. So in other words, remove the semicolon if there's one there. And after the equal sign, you'll want to delete whatever's there and put in your Windows workgroup name. And it could be workgroup in all capitals, or I think some uh, Windows installations are MS Home, again, in all capitals, as your workgroup. So you'll want to go to your Windows computer and go into your networking uh, section and find out the name of your workgroup on your Windows machine. Okay, and then the only other section we're going to edit at this point, just for purposes of this particular episode and, and getting things working, you'll scroll down, scroll down, and you'll come to a section called Share Definitions. Now, you know, I mentioned last week that a share is another name for a directory that's on the network that's available, that's being shared, like file sharing. So this is where you define the directories on your Linux machine that are going to be shared. Now, before we edit this section, this gets to the usernames business. Yeah, and you'll need to kind of think about this before you make changes here. You'll need to figure out what your situation requires. If you have a common username, let's go back to my example of Joe. So let's say Joe has the Windows machine and the Linux machine, and now let's say all his music is on his, win his, excuse me, is on his Linux machine. So he's got a folder called home slash Joe slash music. And that's where all his music is. And he wants to access that directory from his Windows machine to share the music. So as Joe, he will if he if he if he accesses the Linux machine from the Windows machine as a Windows user called Joe, and Joe has an account on the Linux machine, and is also has an account in Samba, and I'll explain how to set this up in a minute, then he will see that directory. If he, as, as long as he puts it here in this share definition section. But if he's trying to access somebody else's directory, a, a different user on his Linux machine, well, on the Linux side, he may not have permissions to do that. So he may be able to get in, but he won't see anything or, or maybe be able to edit anything or have rewrite privileges. So you'll, again, you'll just kind of need to think about your users in your particular situation and how and where the data on the Linux machine is. Now, one solution is to create sort of a common drop point, you know, a common publicly available folder. And you, but you'll you will not want to put that in in a user's folder because again, only that user is going to have access to it. So one option would be what Joe could do. Let's say. Joe's sister uh, Jane has a, has a has an account on the Windows machine and wants to be able to access Joe's music, but he doesn't want her to get everything else in his home directory. Well, one option is to put it in his home directory and give her access to it. But maybe a better option would be to create a new folder called home slash music, so it's not in a user's directory. It's just home slash music, and make it publicly available. And then she can access that, and she won't get into his home directory at all. And again, I'll explain how to do this in just a minute. But I'm just kind of laying out sort of the the thought process that you got to you know maybe put in to this in thinking about what 
folders, what directories on the Linux side you want to have shared. Okay, so let's use an example here. Let's say, let's use the easy example of Joe, you know, single user on both machines, and he has the music folder in his home directory. So we've got home slash Joe slash music. That's the directory he wants to share across the network. So in this, uh, in this uh, share definition section, there'll be a subsection called home in brackets. And he'll want to make sure that the following lines are uncommented, meaning no semicolon in front. The first line is comment equals, and it may say home directories. That's just what it what it shows up as when you're when you're browsing around. That's just what it's called. The next line is browsable equals yes. I want to change that to yes and make sure that line is uncommented. And then the next line would be writable equals yes, and that will allow him to have read write privileges on this share. And then he'll want to add two lines that are not there. And so after the writable equals yes line, I want to hit return and type in two new lines. The first one is create space mask equals 0775 and hit return. And then the next line is directory mask equals 0775. So directory mask equals 00775 and create mask equals 0775. So those are the five lines. Comment equals, browsable equals, writable equals, create mask, and directory mask. And that's it at this point. That will enable Joe's home directory to be shared, his entire home directory. So not just the music folder, but everything in his home directory is going to be available if he logs in as Joe. All right. So now what he'll want to do is Control-O to save it, Control-X to exit. And now Joe is going to want to add himself as a Samba user. Now this is important. This is where, we, this is where the user stuff gets really complicated. When someone is coming to a Linux machine from Windows, when you're trying to access it from Windows, Windows is going to pass along the user username and password, the, the Windows user name and password. Now, you need, in order to be able to access a Samba share on a Linux machine, on the Linux side, you've got to have a valid Linux user and a valid Samba user. So we're talking about three users here. We're talking about a Windows username and password, we're talking about a Linux username and password, and a Samba username and password. Right now, under our scenario, Joe has his Windows username and password set up because he's on Windows. He's got his Linux username and password set up as Joe, but he hasn't added himself as a Samba user. Okay, Linux user does not equal Samba user. You've got to have both. You've got to have a valid Linux user and a valid Samba user. So this is how he adds himself, his username, to Samba as an, as an authorized Samba user. He'll want to type in a command, in a terminal, sudo space smbpasswd space dash a for add space joe you know his linux username and hit return and then it will ask him to enter in a samba password twice and again it would be easiest if he uses the same password that he has for his linux user and the same password he has for his windows user so he hits return now at this point joe's all set he's got a windows account he's got a linux account and he's got a Samba account, and it's all the same username and password. And now, 
he needs to restart Samba to make these changes active. Now in Ubuntu, this is how he would do it. And again, in the command line, in a terminal, sudo space slash etsy slash init period d that's i-n-i-t period d slash samba space start or if it's already started he could type restart and it will restart so that's the command to start and restart and if you ever wanted to stop samba you would just do sudo slash etsy slash init d slash samba stop so that's how you start, stop, and restart Samba. At this point, he's got Samba restarted with all the changes, and he should be able to go to his Windows machine and browse the network and find the Linux machine. And this is how he could do it. It's very easy. Double-click on the network places or whatever to open up the Windows Explorer. Not Internet Explorer, the browser, but the Windows Explorer, the file browser in Windows. And there's a URL bar where you can type in the path, you know. And now Windows, for some strange reason, uses backslashes. Don't ask me why. Everybody else in the world uses forward slashes, but Windows uses backslashes. So Windows, to access his computer, he would type in in the URL bar, backslash, backslash, 192.168.1.40. If you remember from last time, 40 was his Linux machine, and 50 was his Windows machine. So in other words, he puts the IP address of his Linux machine, slash, uh, home or slash Joe, and that should give him access to his home directory on the Linux machine. So basically the, the convention is backslash, backslash, Linux IP, backslash, share directory, you know, the, the, the folder on the Linux machine that's being shared. And that would that should take it. And uh, and once it's connected, he could map it as a network drive. You know, create a shortcut on his Windows desktop so it appears every single time. And again, this is why if he logs into Windows as the same username and password he has on Linux and he has on Samba, it'll just connect straight through and it won't ask him for a username and password. If the usernames and passwords are different, then when it tries to connect, it will prompt him for a username and password. So the key to avoiding logins like that is to have the same username and password strong password on all three machines, on all two machines, I'm sorry. Three users on two machines. Windows user, Linux user, and Samba user. Now, another option, as I mentioned, was to create this, this public share that's available for everybody. And here's how you could do that. In that same share definition section in the smb.com file, we're going to do the following. We're going to add a new share. You can list as many shares as you want in this section. Any share you list is going to be available depending on the options you pick. So one thing he could do is, um, you know, let's say make a, all right, well, first of all, what he'd do is he'd make a new, a new file, a new folder on his Linux machine, slash home, slash music. Okay, let's say he's going to create a publicly available music folder. So he's got to create that folder, home slash, I mean, yeah, home slash music. And he needs to change the permissions, so he'll want to type in the command, sudo space chmod space 0777 slash home slash music that makes that, that folder publicly readable and writable and executable and then he'll want to put the following in the shared definitions section in the samba.conf we've got to put um, first thing we've got to do is put path equals slash home slash music 
then we've got to put uh, browsable equals yes, writable equals yes, same options as before. Uh, next one is public equals yes, and then the create mask and the directory mask, 0775, just like the last time. So we're adding the public equals yes option for home slash Samba. And then any users he wants to have access to it, again, he has to create a Linux user for that person and and then add them to Samba by doing the smb password dash a command. And the way to add a user, there could be graphical tools on your system to create a new Linux user, or you can just in the command line do sudo space add user, all one word, and and then the name of the user. So Jane, you know, if he's going to add his sister Jane, he could add her as a Linux user and go through all that questions and give her a password and then do the smb password dash a command to put her to make her as a valid Samba user. Hopefully that makes sense. It's really not that complicated. The important thing is to have a valid user account on your Windows machine, a valid user account on your Linux machine, and a valid Samba account on the Samba server. That's really what you need to do. And uh, that should take care of it. And then again, anytime you make changes to the smb.comp file, got to restart Samba, and uh, and then it, all the changes should should uh, take in you know take effect. And then from Windows, you just use the Windows Explorer and using backslashes, type in backslash backslash Linux IP backslash share name, um, or uh, you can use the um, select a Windows network icon on Windows. You know, double click it and it will show you all the computers on your network and remember you put in the the same network name uh, work group or something and your Linux machine should show up and you just double click that and it will show you the shares that are available and then you can just double click on the shares and if you're authenticated already in Windows it'll just pass your credentials over and you'll be right in or it will prompt you for a username and password all right I think that's it. Um, you know, pretty straightforward. Maybe not as detailed as last week, but uh, it can be tricky. And I really do think that the key to all of this is setting the right uh, username and password on the machines and also adding them to the Samba server by using the SMB password A command, and you should be all set. So hopefully you enjoyed that and it will work. Let me know. All right, time to wrap it up. Okay, everybody. Well, this has been uh, a good two episodes, I think. Windows networking, and it's probably something we'll come back to uh, in the future, and uh, and cover some other topics as well, and maybe you know dive into a little bit more detail. But let me know how it goes, and please post in the forums if you've got any questions. We've got really some great people in the forums who are helping everybody out. So send me general feedback or listener tips or audio comments to linuxreality at gmail.com, or you can call the new voicemail number two zero six three three eight six three five nine. And just keep an eye on the homepage for both the, the audio web-based voicemail as well as this, uh, you know, Volume 1 CD that has all of the episodes and show notes and extras and everything that I'll have up here shortly. So I uh, hope you enjoy that. Uh, let's see. Next time, I think what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at Wine. Wine, I mentioned before, is a way to run some Windows applications on your Linux machine. It has pretty good success with some things and not so good success with other things and so we'll we'll talk about talk about wine so 
please stay in touch. Stay subscribed. Let your friends and family know about us. And uh, thanks so much for all the votes at Podcast Alley. We're doing great. That's the best. It really is exciting to see. Until then, this has been Linux Reality, Episode 26. Catch you all next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.